And welcome back to another edition of Fun in the Sunbelt, episode four. My name is Grant Johnson. I am a writer for The Breeze, James Madison University student newspaper. My name is Madison Heretic. I am one of the sports editors for James Madison University student newspaper, The Breeze. And I'm Dima Mixon, writer for the student Prince at Southern Miss. And we're almost all back together. We're missing a few people in our bunch. Uh, DJ Cadden and Cameron Burnett couldn't make it today, but we have Dima back and Dima's had a little bit of a hiatus. Um, we're going to jump into some Southern Miss news. Obviously, JMU versus App, I think, in a non-biased way, is still top of mind for most of the Sunbelt. Maddie and I were on the scene in Boone last Saturday for the 32-28 comeback win for JMU. There were so many questions that needed to be answered going to that game for JMU. It was their first ever Sunbelt Conference game against Sunbelt Conference foe. And for a while, it looked like I was talking to Maddie about this in the press box. I mean, we were thinking that our Sunday analysis story would be about how App State is doing to JMU as JMU used to do to CAA teams in the FCS and winning 45 to three in conference games. But the tide completely flipped in the second half. Kid Brewer Stadium started chanting JMU, JMU. The little section of purple in the top, um, in the top left quadrant of the rock, as they also call it, as they call it in Southern Miss, too. We can get into that debate, maybe. Um, they came alive, really overtook the stadium. Maddie, just kind of talk about your thoughts to the listeners of you walk into Kid Brewer before the game the momentum swing, just kind of everything that you took in from maybe like a sensory perspective. So I think what made this game so different, because I mean, I'll be honest, I have been fortunate enough to go to a lot of away games that JMU has played at. And I have always said, you know, prior to this App State game, you know, the best away atmosphere that I have ever seen in person was when JMU played at North Dakota last December. Uh, they played in the Fargo Dome, an incredible atmosphere, very smart football fans, passionate football fans. And it was a good game. I mean, JMU did lose the game. However, I still said it was one of one of the most exciting and enjoyable games that I've ever seen, both as a fan and, and as a reporter. And I still think the Fargo Dome was an incredible experience. However, what I liked more about Kid Brewer Stadium with JMU and App was that it wasn't just the passionate fans and it wasn't just the screaming and just the overwhelming overload of noise that was coming from Fargo Dome, but it was, it was every little detail on top of that. It was the fact that, you know, App State was blasting music in between each of JMU snaps, like before they even like lined up on the line of scrimmage. It was, it was the student section screaming the lyrics to songs and you could tell it truly was a hostile environment. It wasn't just the overwhelming excitement because NDSU was about to go win another FCS championship. They got to take down their rival in the process. It wasn't the same storyline JMU fans have seen in the past. And Grant, you mentioned it. I mean, I, I joked with you in the press box I was, when JMU was down 28 to three, I was like, this is JMU's, I called it the come to Jesus moment where the reality of moving to the FBS kind of starts to hit fans of, you know, not every game is going to be this dramatic win. It's not going to be this big, absolute smackdown of an opponent. Sometimes you're going to be the one that's getting beaten up. And 
that did not obviously happen. It ended up being that comeback win that's still now very talked about. Jamie received AP top 25 votes, USA, um, USA Today votes. They were they got 10 votes with a student media poll, um, which was also very cool. And so you see all this stuff happen, but I mean, honestly, I, I will be totally honest, like that was probably, that beat North Dakota for me in regards to the overall experience. It's really hard, even I think we're five days afterwards now, still trying to put it into words because not only did I see the adrenaline running through the fans and running through the crowds, I could feel the adrenaline in the press box. And I was tucked away in this like tiny little corner, like I was up against a wall. Um, but I could still feel the energy and I could feel the passion. And those kinds of atmospheres where I can't even put it into words are the best kind of atmospheres. And it's what makes me love what I get to do and love being able to just be around this kind of sport and just being able to kind of experience. What got me, Maddie and Dima and the listeners was how like ridiculously hype JMU players were walking out onto that field it felt like they finally met their match they're like we're walking into an environment where we feel like we're finally equals we're not walking into JMU versus Rhode Island we're 32 point favorites this is just another game to make sure we don't lose all year so that we can get home field advantage or that we can be set up to play North Dakota State in the in the semifinals or the finals it was like it was like a we've arrived moment and everything about like Signetti walk leading the team out, head coach Kurt Signetti of the Dukes leading the team out while App State was coming out. So they couldn't get booed just like going out on, on when Jamie was, they received the opening kickoff, just how like their players all nodding heads, like, you know, the whole, like, you know, they're like even telling the crowd to like get hype. I don't even know why they're on the road, but they're still, they're just so into the moment. And I think also what kind of, I think Maddie can speak to this too with, you know, feeling it in the press box is there was like a little bit, it wasn't like a closed off press box. It was like, you could like stick your hand out and you were like, the air was there. So we could hear everything. And just like the, how the app state fans would chant like, ah, and stay across the field. How loud that got. And, you know, JMU, they got hit early. There was, like, multiple false starts in the first drive. It seemed like it was really kind of getting to them. But once JMU settled down, it just became an instant classic. And it's definitely, I think, just as a reporter, something that all all cherish because, I mean, I didn't go to the Fargo Dome, you know, last year. But um, that was – so, for me, that was, like, the first real, like, road, true, hostile environment that I ever covered because so far for JMU, it's been smooth sailing. It hasn't really been a – you know, like an Ethan Ratke late field goal to win a game at Bridgeforth yet. It's been, you know, it's been, you know, onslaughts. And even as games I went to as a fan last year, it was blowouts. So the first game where it really went down the wire, I had to like rewrite my my story like twice because I was initially writing it as, oh, Jamie's getting their ass kicked. But then I had to change it to, oh my God, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. So it like, it was really the kind of just the full circle of emotions. You know, I will say this, Grant. It's a little unfair that that was your first road game. I'm just saying that. Um, I believe the first road game that I covered as sports editor for the Breeze was Richmond last year, I think. And that was, if I'm going to say, Richmond was 19-3 to JMU, I believe. So it was a low-scoring game, but you still felt there was a dominant control 
over the game for JMU. Um, but I, I will admit, I was a little jealous. I, I like when you bring that up that that was your first true road experience. I'm a little jealous now because that's like a really good one to have. Um, however, I will say because it's been five days at this point, it's it's kind of like um, kind of like when App State beat Texas A&M a couple weeks ago. Like everybody was hyped up about it. People were talking about it. Same with Marshall beating Notre Dame, although you could say Notre Dame wasn't that great, isn't that great of a team right now or whatever. But the point still is the same. Is everybody's really excited about this. Everybody's eyes are on JMU. And I think that it's um there's more pressure for JMU to win this coming Saturday against Texas State in front of its own sold out crowd because they played in a sold out kid brewer stadium. They now get a sold out Bridgeport Stadium. But I think that there's more pressure to beat Texas State after that win because otherwise it's going to be, oh, JMU might be the new darlings of college football, like they were calling App State two weeks ago. But if they lose, they're going to be like, oh, well, it was just a one-off win. And they're, and JMU's back going to be back to trying to prove themselves all over again. And so, and that's been one of the biggest points that Signetti's been harping on all week every time you and I have had this chance to talk to him, Grant, um, is that there were errors that JMU made and that JMU can't let that happen again. And that, you know, they can't, they can't slack off. They can't say that this win was the entire season because let's be real. That was week four. There are 11 weeks of college football. So we still, we still got seven more weeks of this to play. Um, and so and I think that's been, at least for me, like that's been this next step at this point is like, yes, we get to celebrate this win just like the players got to celebrate that win. But, you know, there's still so much more football to play. Like for all we know, we, we don't know exactly how the rest of the season is going to pan out you know what I mean yeah I mean the Texas State game kind of has trap game written all over it but like you said Maddie Signetti's you know talked about can't get caught up with the warm and fuzzies you know the rat poison all those kind of cliches I know App State was big on you know don't take the cheese for when after they beat um Texas A&M and then two weeks later see how it turned out for them but um yeah after this week assuming you know, honestly, assuming Jamie wins, it's going to be, you know, it's a Sunbelt matchup. It's not a gimme, but if Jamie wins, they go to Arkansas State. Maddie and I won't be covering that in person, but they are a team in the Sunbelt West, just as Dima has been all in on Southern Miss of the Sunbelt West. Haven't really caught up with uh, the Sunbelt West too much. It's been a lot of me, Maddie, and Cameron on the pod lately talking app and JMU in the East, but Dima, you know, fill us in a little bit on kind of the Sunbelt West and Southern Miss and I know they had a pretty cool announcement today, too, about a future game and some rules on campus. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, I think that that JMU App State game, insane game, was uh, able to kind of catch a little bit of that last week. Um, yeah, so Southern Miss, you know, <clears throat> the last time I was on here, um, I believe that they were getting prepared for Liberty. Um, I don't think I've been on since then, but um, so four games into the season, two and two, a um, lot of change so far for Southern Miss. Um, so they started out with, um, they started out with, uh, excuse me, sorry. I thought this was silenced, but um, they started out with uh, <laughs> Ty Keys at quarterback. Ty Keys was the starting quarterback uh, for Southern Miss uh, to start out the Liberty game. He got injured with a head injury. Then they went to the Superback offense. They went from the Superback offense to um, 
back to Ty and then heading into the Miami week, we didn't know who was going to be the starting quarterback. So then they bring out true freshman uh, Zach Wilkie and he plays probably the puts Southern Miss, probably the best offense that I've seen in the past three or four years. And um, so then people were saying, well, he should be the starter. Then there was a QB battle. Then the Northwestern state uh, against Northwestern state, Zach got the start. And then we saw both Zach and Ty. Um, and then last week against Tulane, um, Ty got injured and it looks like he's going to be out for a long time. Um, he had a cast on in practice on Tuesday. So it looks like Zach Wilkie is going to be the starter going forward for the golden Eagles. And last weekend's uh, win at Tulane, um, was the biggest win. I would say probably not. I would say it, it, it is the biggest win, um, for Will Hall in the Will Hall era. Um, thus far, Will Hall came on board last season and inherited, um, you know, a team that, was very, very young and dealt with countless and countless amounts of injuries last season. They had over 15 people take snaps at quarterbacks. They were bringing like graduate assistants on to play quarterback. It was just a mess. And uh, so then they switched to just not putting a quarterback on the depth chart. <laughs> and uh, they had Frank Gore Jr. play quarterback. And that's when the superback offense was born. So just a weird season, obviously, last year. And then this year, you know, Will Hall made a great point. Um, uh, against Tulane, um, you know, he said that this is only the fourth game since he's been a coach where he's actually been able to run the offense, right? Like, because when you have a guy who has never even, wasn't even recruited, he's literally an assistant coach, you know, playing quarterback for you last year, like, um, you're not having the opportunity to run the offense that you want to run. So once they start running that offense, you know, they're in good shape and their defense um, is just rock solid. They did lose their best linebacker um, last week against Tulane for the season. Um, Swayze Bozeman, but, um, but as far as Southern Miss, yeah. I mean, I think right now, you know, you look at it and you say they probably should be three and one. They, they really blew the Liberty game. Uh, Miami, you know, it's just Miami. They, they weren't going to win that game, but pretty good, pretty good way to be set up for next week at Troy. Um, and I'll be there for that. Um, but uh, as far as what you were saying for the announcement, um, Southern Miss announced yesterday that uh, classes and uh, offices will be closed on October 27th, which is a Thursday, and that's when they welcome UL uh, to the Rock. Um, so it's a Thursday night matchup on ESPN. Um, so it's a primetime matchup, national television. The first time that's happened in a very long time at Southern Miss. I can't, I don't remember when the last time Southern Miss got on ESPN on uh, at the Rock. When they played Mississippi State in 2015, it was on Fox, and it was a night game. So it was a primetime Fox game. And then uh, they played Kentucky, and that was CBS, I think. So I don't think – I can't remember the last time they were on ESPN. So it's a pretty big deal for Southern Miss. Um, you know, it got a lot of uh, feedback on Twitter and stuff when I tweeted that out. Um, but I will say that the reason they're doing that is not because – you know, like I was seeing a lot of Slovis fans at least, you know, reply to my tweet and say, man, you know, Joe Paul, who's the interim president right now, like he gets it, like all this stuff. But I mean, it's really has to do with parking and just I've, I've been at Southern Miss for, you know, two years now. And then I've lived here my entire life and gone to countless Southern Miss games and stuff. There's just not anywhere to park on campus. And when you're adding a game day on top of classes and on top of professors and on top of faculty, it's impossible. It would be impossible to do. And they really want to make that game. It's a blackout. It's huge. Um, so it, it, it's probably the biggest game in Southern Miss football <clears throat> since, 
Ah, uh, golly, it's it's a big game. That's all I can say. It's gonna it's a huge game, probably since 2019 uh, when they played UAB. So it's just a huge game, um, especially if they continue the trend they're on. Which right now, I mean, they play Troy next week, which is a winnable game. And if they if they can get past Troy, then they they could be heading into the UL game five and two. So um, we'll see what happens. But as far as the Sun Belt uh, West, obviously, you know, I think you said that. Um, oh my goodness, Tua. Sorry, I just saw my phone. Tua like got injured in the game tonight, so prayers for him. But um, to attack a little for Miami Dolphins. But uh, yeah, the Sun Belt West. I will say right now, and a little like shout out to ULM, who's on top of the Sun Belt West right now. So <laughs> did definitely did not project that, but they went in and beat uh, UL last week, um, and then. Yeah, the UL, the, the the West, I think, is pretty wide open. Like, I don't – like, I I think Troy is pretty good. South Alabama is solid, guys. Like, South Alabama, they should be – they should have beaten UCLA. Like, they should definitely be undefeated. They are a good football team. They, they may win the conference, honestly. They're looking pretty good. Obviously, I know Coastal Carolina. Um, but I think it'll be – that – the UL-South Al game uh, this weekend – that's <laughs> a huge game uh this weekend and down there up there in louisiana so i'm i'm really looking forward to watching that one southern miss is off this week so that'll be good um southern miss you know they're not i mean we'll see like we don't know they have they have a very good defense and their offense is getting there like they, they could they could compete at least with i mean their defense is always going to keep them in the game and then um you know I don't think Arkansas State or Texas State really has a shot at winning the the West, but right now I'd say it's a pretty close race. South Alabama, Troy, Louisiana, maybe you can throw in Southern Miss there, but um, South Alabama to me is just a, a monster right now, and we'll we'll see if that continues. But to me, I think they're just they're just unbelievable. So, um, all that being said, though, um, yeah, Southern Miss, I'm good to be back, and um, yeah, that that weekday game. Um, they they closed all classes and stuff. So it's a pretty big deal. I don't remember the last time we had a Southern Miss had a weekday game. Um, so yeah, that was a lot to be said though. <laughs> well, so it's interesting, Dima, because so my experience, JMU has had two Friday night games. Both were yes, both were playoff games because FCS playoffs. And even then, like they were Friday night games. Most of the classes were done anyways by the time tailgating was done. You just had to be out of Godwin and Champions by like, I want to say, like, I think it was like two or something like that. It was like an eight o'clock kickoff or something like that. It was like you had to be out by lunch. Um, so it always threw me off when those weekday games happened. But I definitely thought it was interesting that they just like canceled classes until you said parking. And then it was, and then it clicked in my head. Okay. Yep. That checks out because yeah, especially when you factor in tailgating and people, you know, setting up tents and mini like mini grills or whatever. Um, or at least that's how it is in Harrisonburg. I don't know how y'all tailgate down there, but <laughs> um, like it takes up so much space. And you were saying like you had one game where you had to walk like two miles or something like that earlier. Yeah, that when they played Northwestern State, um, I got there two and a half hours before the game, like I normally do. I normally try to get up in the box pretty early. Um, that's from sure as all as we all do, but I, I had to park two and a half miles from the stadium, <laughs> like two and a half hours before the game. So I can't even imagine what it would be like um, for a weekday game where 
classes are going on because already classes already have to already park pretty far out. So I can't even imagine classes added with a home game. That'd be insane. So, yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine it either. I will say, though, going back to the West being pretty open, like I think I had mentioned this on the last recording that we did, like South Alabama, like they should they I guess you could really argue they should be undefeated. Minus oh, that sure. UCLA, the UCLA bump or loss or whatever. I mean, that was a huge win for UCLA. I'm not going to deny that for them at all. However, like you weren't like a lot of people weren't kidding when they said South Alabama was a team to watch. They've kind of kind of been keeping under the radar all year because I think a lot of people were focused on App State and a lot of the other teams from the East. Like I know a lot of people were shocked that Georgia State has yet yes. to win a game this year. Yeah, that's huge. I, I'm I'm going to quote. Kevin Warner, who's the assistant AD for communications at JMU, he's like, Georgia State is the best 0-4 team in the country right now. And it's absolutely yeah. valid. <laughs> I mean, I got on here saying they were going to compete for the East. Like, I remember saying that. I like, I was like, man, Georgia State, watch out. They're going to be great. And they're, they haven't won a game, and they're probably not going to win this weekend. They're playing at Army. That's just tricky. I mean, that's hard to win. Even, like, Louisiana, like – you they own ULM usually, and I mean Rice the week before. Like I don't this whole transition out of Billy Napier is not going too smooth for them either. And I mean the West is really just up for grabs. I think. Well, I think what's yeah, interesting sure. about ULM, at least from like my understanding of the situation, is that Grant they're very similar. At least going into the season, they were very similar to what JMU was dealing with. They were going through a little bit of a quarterback battle. They had taken a lot of hits from the transfer portal. And they were trying to figure out this identity. They had a huge reputation to uphold, you know, this massive winning streak that they were on that was turning heads everywhere. And honestly, I truly think that JMU could have been, like, could have been in the position that ULM is in. I'm not saying that, like, you know, we weren't sure how Middle Tennessee was going to pan out. JMU went out there and demolished Middle Tennessee. We knew Norfolk State was going to be a win. Um, we kind of expected that. But, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily ex- – I didn't – at least I didn't expect JMU to be off to 3-0 and and potentially 4-0 and or on Saturday. When um, – I said ULM earlier. UL um, is kind of – is kind of in that little, like, limbo position that they're in right now. Um, UL – LM, on the other hand, they're also doing they're doing very well. So obviously it's hard to beat Bama and no one's going to make any ex- like it's, it's just hard to beat Bama. I don't blame them. But I thought ULM is still playing well. But UL is what JMU could have been at the start of this season. At least that's how I've seen it. No, for sure. I mean, I know I can speak for Maddie on this. Like we had no idea what to expect from JMU coming in. I mean, I thought I thought they'd lose to Middle Tennessee to start the year. And I mean, they like, no, um, I, there's just so many teams in Sunbelt where I'm just like, not really getting results that I'm expecting. Like as far as coastal, like, yeah, they're undefeated, but they haven't really dominated anyone yet. Um, you talk about ULM. I had no expectations for ULM this year and they already proven me wrong. They've already, you know, they've already beaten Louisiana. Like, there's been so many teams in the Sun Belt. And, I mean, Georgia State, too. I mean, I wasn't thinking they'd win the East, but I was kind of on Dima's train of, like, watch out for Georgia State. They finished last year 7-1 and one coming into this year. Obviously, they played North Carolina, South Carolina, but, you know, they had a game against Charlotte that they probably should have won. And, you know, they did take North Carolina down to the wire, just as App State did. So, like, it just shows, like, this league top to bottom. It's like Signetti also is talking about it this week, Maddie. Like, 
98 per- I don't know if I agree with the number of like 98%, but it, I mean, his main thing was like pretty much every team in college football can beat anyone on any given week. I mean, except for the Georgias and the Ohio States and the Bamas, they can play their, they can play their C game and they can get by and win games. But like at, at this level, it just shows how even these teams are. And it's just, it's a matchup league. People talk about like the NFL is a matchup league or like the Sun Belt. They're so close. Like there's really not one team that you're I'm looking at right now where it's like they are so much better than everyone else. I mean, record wise and like stats wise, like maybe JMU, but like that they're I think their stats are a little bit inflated from the first two home games. And I mean they went they were down 20 to 3 against App. So they're not completely better than everyone. But no, I mean it's just so tight and they just don't know, you know, eight weeks from now. Like there are so many teams still in the running, I feel like. Exactly. And, and that's such a good point. Right. And that's exactly the conference you want to be in. Like, I feel like it just we that's the name of the podcast. Fun in the sun. Like, I mean, this is like all amazing. Like, it's amazing to look at both sides and be like, you know what? I don't know who's going to win. You know, it's like what? I, 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 like, could James Madison beat Coastal? Sure. I, I could see it happening. Could uh, Texas State beat James Madison this weekend? Sure. Like, why not? Like. Could Southern Miss beat Coastal Carolina in November? Sure. Why not? And I think, like, could you say that about, like, this weekend? Like, could Rutgers beat Ohio State? No, that's not going to happen. Could Vanderbilt beat Alabama? No, that's not going to happen. So that's why this conference is so fun, and that is why, um, you know, we're not going to, to, to on Saturday with a 50-point spread or whatever it is at Alabama when they play, you know, tiddlywink college or whatever you know this is good football we're watching so you know it's fun in the sun let's go and i'm looking forward to each week you know and, and it, but it's hard to predict right and i know like before we start hit record we were talking about our predictions and how they're all whack it's hard to predict but it's fun and it but more importantly it's fun for us as journalists but it's more importantly fun for the fans and i think that that's the difference that like they can go to a game and just like you were saying at App State, JMU, whether it's Southern Miss, whoever it is, they can go to a game expecting a good football game. You know, if your team loses, fine, whatever. You know, they played hard, but if they're not going and like, they at least have a chance to win practically every game, right? It's like my reasoning for why the 12-team playoff is so good, right? Like, so if the if the number 12 seed is playing the five seed, it, at least they have a, more of a chance, right? So like the best group of five team isn't going to play Alabama. They're not going to play Ohio state. They're going to go play Clemson. They're going to go play Oklahoma state. I don't know whoever the five seed is. At least they, it gives them a chance, you know, it gives them a chance to compete. And, and I think that that's the same way here that every game, like we can go through every game this, this on this weekend and be like, you know what? That's a toss up. I don't know. Like there's not a single game this weekend. And I'm like, Oh, it's yeah. That definitely that team's going to win. Maybe James Madison, Texas state, you know, you can make that argument because of the line and all that stuff. But <laughs> like it's for most more, more than likely than not most of the games you're going to say, yeah, that, that could go either way. Well, and it's, it, it's just like what we hear every single week on the Sunbelt coaches call where every single week, I swear, at least one coach always says, this is the premier G5 conference in the country. I, I, like, I could keep a tally. And I'm pretty sure by the time we'll hit week seven, every single Sun Belt coach will have said it. I'm pretty sure at this point, every single one has already said it. And 
like everybody's so invested and to go back to your point about fans Dima what I love about this conference is right now and it's been like this since this like new look has been adapted everybody's like all buddy buddy with each other right now in like a good sense where it's we're all rooting for each other especially when there's non-conference games and everything like that and I am so excited for when we get down to like week nine and we get to next season and these like these games have been established and there's now a history of like I can get I can guarantee you the next time that JMU and App State play like it's it's going to be a heck of a lot more tense than it was on Saturday because there's now recency involved I mean I I don't know I can't really speak for Southern Miss and what you've seen Dima but I feel like uh, like we're going to get to a point where the rivalries are just going to be fun because we're going to support each other at the conference. But the second like your team is pinned up against mine, it's going to be it's going to be like all hands on deck. Like we are passionate, passionate college football fans. And I, like we've said it pretty much every single week, but like hats off to Commissioner Gill for creating this kind of environment for this to be able to thrive, like from reporters, fans outside viewers who flip through ESPN plus on a Saturday afternoon, trying to find a college football game. Right. And I think the, the passion feeds from how competitive it is. I mean, I looked at, I'm looking at the spreads right now for the week, other than JMU being favored by 21 and a half, which make what you want of that. I think that number is very inflated from the fact that, you know, before the app game, Jamie hasn't really, you know, played much, which I don't know. After seeing middle Tennessee the last few weeks, I don't middle Tennessee might have found their groove, but they beat Miami. Right, right. But, like, other than the JMU game, there's no spread in a Sunbelt matchup over 10 points. Like, South Al- South Al is favored by nine over Louisiana. I mean, that might be because Louisiana is kind of sputtering right now, but it's still only a nine-point spread. And you want to talk about, I mean, Liberty ODU. Well, Liberty's not the Sunbelt. But, I mean, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, nine and a half. Uh, UL Monroe and Arkansas State, seven. Um those those are the only those are the only like conference conference matchups there's a lot of they're finishing up non-conference but the point is it's just everything's so close and like we've you know kind of being a dead drum at this point but like this makes it fun and that's why it's been coined the fun belt and that's why uh, like we've had so many sunbelt games have came down to the last two seconds because these teams are so tight and then the fans are already so passionate and then they get into it and that just creates just must-see games and that's what People want as fans. That's what we want to cover. That's what, you know, we want to watch. Exactly. And that's exactly the, the point that, like, it just, like, it's just so much better than Conference USA. Like, as as somebody who's covered Conference USA, you know, last season, and and especially now you're seeing what the Sun Belt is, it's just so much better than Conference USA. And I'm sure for, for JMU fans, you know, it's even – it's better than – I don't know what y'all were in last year. I'm sorry. But – um. But, you know, it, it's just – it's a great conference, and it's trending in the right direction. And, you know, you're seeing all this this conference alignment. Um, you're seeing all this conference alignment with the bigger conferences. You know, the Big Ten basically just taking the Pac-12, saying, come with us. And then the Big 12 was like, hey, we want to go with the SEC. But you know it's going to stay intact. It's going to be the Sun Belt because of the passion that all these fan bases have for their teams, and they're willing to travel. And this Sun Belt – makes that possible because like when Southern Miss would go play like UTEP, it's a 40 hour drive to El Paso from Hattiesburg. Like, what are we doing? Like, seriously, but like you see like USC joining the big 10, like the swim team is going to fly to Maryland to go swim. 
you know like it just it's just look how much better and logical this is and it makes it so much better for not only the players not only the coaches but also for the fans and that's what this is about it's about the players having a good college atmosphere to play college football basketball baseball whatever and for the fans to be able to enjoy that as well aren't we so spoiled like I feel like sitting here like we we talk about this and we could laugh about this after but like we're so spoiled as student journalists to get to experience this like as a student like we like yes we bust our butts to get all of this stuff done and to create content and all of this but at the same time like maybe maybe I'm just like super reflective but like do y'all ever have a moment where it's like you kind of look back and you're like whoa like this is this is what I get to do and I'm not even out of college yet um I might be crazy but I don't know I just feel like especially considering like Dima you came from Conference USA JMU's come from the CAA like very very different atmospheres than what it is now I mean I felt like from the instant that JMU started getting involved in the Sun Belt it was just this overwhelming presence of like let's do this this is going to be great um and maybe it was because of the bitter ends that was jamie's relationship with with the caa um but i don't know like i feel like i like i feel like i watch all of this stuff unfold and i watch like the opportunities that are kind of revealed in front of us and for the fans to be able to see it and be so engaged like i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm crazy but i'm just like wow we are spoiled human beings to be able to get to do this so young I mean, before the app game, I was most excited to cover JMU playing North Carolina in basketball. That was a game I had circled for months. But, I mean, like, now I'm just most excited for whatever the next Sunbelt football matchup is because it's just so insane, like, how invested everyone is. And, I mean, maybe as far as, like, I mean, this Saturday it's going to be raining in 50 degrees and might be, like, half of a hurricane dumping on Harrisonburg. So, not super excited for that. But, like, after that, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm over the moon. But, I mean, something I was going to bring up to you guys, Dima and Maddie, is, you know, there's been a lot of chatter. I mean, there's already been some, you know, Power 5 coaches who've, you know, been ousted. And there, there have been list assembling of, you know, who's going to be the next Georgia Tech coach or the next Nebraska coach. And names like, you know, Jamie Chadwell from Coastal and Sean Clark from App State have surfaced. And, I, I've kind of been thinking, I'm like, why would a Jamie Chadwell or a Sean Clark want to leave what they have for a Power 5 program that if they don't get their foot off the ground in two years, they're going to be gone and in the coaching carousel again? Like, I'm, I kind of want to get your guys' perspective on, at this point, with how much notoriety the Sunbelt is garnering, is it even worth it to leave a top Sunbelt job for a middling to impulsive power five job where if you don't get your stuff together right away, like you're, you're out of there. Oops. Sorry. I was having trouble getting unmuted. Uh, yes. I definitely think it's worth it. 100%. Um, it's, it's all about money. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, Nebraska is going to pay millions of dollars for you to come coach there. So, I mean, I think like you're talking about, I mean, I, I get, I get the sympathy of the question and I get the, you know, like, oh man, I don't want to leave the Sun Belt because man, my 30,000 fans or whatever is going to be sad. But I mean, you're talking about going to the big 10, you're talking about going to a, um, a, 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 a national program. Obviously Nebraska hasn't been what they've 
should be over the past few years, but that's why you're going there because you're going to change it. That you're that the person who's hired you has believed in your coaching. So you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't not want to go because you're scared of, you know, failing in two years, you know, if, you know what I'm saying? Like you should be believing in your coaching, um, your coaching ways and, and you're getting a significant pay raise to go to Nebraska or wherever, whoever, whatever job is open at the time, you know, and if they, they offer it from a Sunbelt school, I mean, I, I think it's no question that a coach goes. That's why we've seen from Billy Napier at Florida, you know, he, he built Louisiana Lafayette like crazy. Like then they, they were like having the best winning streak in football and it was a no brainer. He's going to Florida. It's Florida. It's the SEC. What is like, he would be crazy to take, turn down that job, no matter if he gets fired in three or four years. You know, I got to agree to an extent, Dima, like, yes, to, at the end of the day, like, this is a job. People are going, coaches are going to want to put themselves in the best position to have the best program and, you know, to vie for a national championship just as much as every other college football player and coach out there wants to do. Where I think that Grant makes a, makes a point with the environment that presents the Sunbelt with is when you see, and I don't know if this is like a totally just comparison, but like take a look at JMU softball's Women's College World Series run two years ago. Wow, it's been two years now. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, Georgia softball had just lost their head coach. It wasn't necessarily named, but, you know, people were speculating after Lauren Laporte had such an amazing season. It was the last year of her contract at the time. You know, would she go and make the jump to Power Five? She ended up staying and signing an extension, and she's now still coaching at JMU. Obviously, softball, football, two very different sports, very different entities and lives. I get that. But at the same time, like, I mean, a bunch of these, a bunch of JMU coaches have have signed extensions, Signetti being one of them. There's, there's a sense to build the program. Now, I'm not saying that it isn't totally out of the picture for any Sunbelt coach to receive an offer and, you know, leave the team. The question is, is if they decide to do it, when's the right opportunity? When is that time to make that decision? Um, it's always very interesting to see the trickle-down effects of when coaches are hired and fired in the middle of a season, uh, especially how early it is. But I don't know. I just, like... I see both sides to it because on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I know it would make sense why you would want to at least stick out for a season. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, at the end of the day, like this is a job, like point blank period. Like there's, there's, there's a paycheck at the end of the day. Yeah. And it really, what people I don't think understand, you know, um, a lot is this, this matters to the family as well. Like the children of the coach, that plays a big role in coaching changes, believe it or not. Like people don't really see that, but it matters. It matters where your kids are growing up. It matters where, you know, if they're, you know, still in diapers or whatever, you know, then you can make the move. And then, you know, but maybe when they're like, you know, a sophomore in college, a senior in college or in high school, you know, then you may not want to make that move. Like, believe it or not, family does matter. Um, so that, that plays a role. And like, you're saying it's a job, like, and that's what kind of goes into the family thing that like, this is a job we're talking about. And if it makes sense for the family to move, if it makes sense for the coach to move and he's getting a pay raise, it's kind of hard to not go to another place. You know what I'm saying? Like you think about like a big quarterback, who's going to be a top NFL prospect. Like he's, it's a no brainer. He's not, he's not thinking, well, you know what? I did so good at Alabama. Maybe I should stay another year and turn down $60 million. 
sounds like a good idea. No, they never do that, right? They're, they're going to go take the $60 million. So it's, it's all about the money. And I think that that's kind of the sad part about college football right now, that it is turning more into that, especially with the NIL deals coming in and stuff. But that is just the reality we're living in. And while it is a good mantra of like, yeah, maybe stay. Um, I know you brought up the softball e- example, but in most of the times they will go, in my opinion. But it does ma- matter. It matters about family. So, Dima, you're popular tonight, man. <laughs> Your phone's my going girlfriend. off. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, uh, no. I mean, it I happens totally only hear. when I'm talking. It can't happen when I'm <laughs> muted. No, I, I mean, I totally, but like to your point about college football coaches and like their families having a factor, like it's like a hundred percent. That is totally a factor because at the end of the day, like we are human coaches have lives outside of football as much as sometimes fans don't acknowledge it. Like they, people have lives. They're a normal person. They want to go home. They want to see their wife, their kids, cat, dog, whatever. They want to be able to still enjoy like being a normal person despite the fact that, you know, it's one of the, like, you're extremely famous in your college town or in some cases, the country. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I feel like a lot of people do forget, like, there there is, like, a level of normalcy that does come with, you know, being a college coach is you still want to enjoy the moments that you have as a dad, as an uncle or whatever. Um, and so I do think a lot of people forget that, but I don't know, Grant, you've just kind of listened to Dima and I ramble. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts on your own no, question? I mean, I was, I was really about to tap in. Like, obviously, yes, money is important. I asked that like half facetiously just because like of what the Sunbelt was building and what it could be or any coaches thinking of like three years down the line. Is this like, well, it's not, it's not ever going to be like the conference, Big Ten and SEC pretty much bought their way to being the conference, but kind of what also I'm saying when you talk about like work-life balance or you know thinking of the family I mean if I'm at if I'm in Jamie Chadwell's shoes do I want to uproot and go to Lincoln Nebraska in the middle of nowhere where all the fans expect us to go 10 and 2 when I haven't had my recruiting class in yet and I have all this pressure from boosters and donors and people to say turn it around turn around turn around in four months and I'm at coastal I'm I'm the king of coastal Carolina I've got you know, I've developed a program from the ground up. It's my stamp on it. It The Sunbelt is thriving. They've got the ESPN deal locked up. I just, I don't know. There's something about like, yes, it's more money in the short term, but like you'll get that money in, you know, let's say you're there two or three years and then maybe you're fired. Like my thing is just like, you talk about stability. That's another big, you know, thing when you talk about the family and everything. Are you going to move and have to uproot again in 2025 because instead of winning 10 games, you're winning seven, and that's not satisfactory in Nebraska. Stuff like that, I think, also plays into it, which I just think that's one of the main, I think maybe just overall issues with college football. Is there too many programs that I feel like have the expectation that they should be Ohio State or Georgia? I'm, I'm looking at you, Tennessee and Nebraska, and middling programs with rabid fan bases that just fall short every year. What I'm saying is just, the expectation is so crazy at so many programs. I just think aren't equipped and don't have the patience to let a coach develop and build a staff and build a recruiting class where they can get players that they brought in to be, you know, juniors and seniors and key contributors because no one really has that patience anymore. It seems as a vibrant Ohio state fan, go bucks. (laughs) I will say, I'm sorry, lower schools that you don't have the patience 
I'm sorry. But you should have been better 20 years ago. Thank you. I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, like, the reality is the Sun Belt's a G5 conference. We're not Power 5. We're not the ACC. We're not the SEC. Like, like the reality is we are a group of five conference. And head coach changes are something that the Sun Belt is going to deal with. Regardless of how the college football or just college athletics dynamic evolves, it's going to be a reality that is going to be faced. In what capacity, how much, how little, we'll see. I think it's a little early for us to be speculating this in depth. Uh, I think as we get closer to the end of the season and we start figuring out, okay, who's going to a bowl, who's not going to a bowl, um, I think then we'll start to have those conversations will be a little bit more of a reality. But I mean, to kind of wrap things up here, Grant, but at the end of the day, it is something we're going to have to face. So it's not a bad point to bring up, especially because, you know, it was an, it was kind of heard through heard through the grapevine that Chadwell and Clark were two names that were brought up um, brought up for Georgia Tech, and so I mean I like listen I wouldn't blame any coach for for taking an opportunity I wouldn't um, it's but at the end of the day like I said it's just a reality the group of five faces it's the same thing that mid majors face outside of football it's just college athletics it's ever changing it's just like the NFL NHL MLB managers and head coaches are always moving around just as players are. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, Maddie. And, you know, if you are a coach and you do believe in your craft, I mean, what's stopping you from trying to push yourself and take that next step? That's just a natural progression. That's just human nature. You want to get to the, to the best, the best in your, in your, in your industry and in college football, that's the, that's the power five level, you know, Going above that, that's the SEC. Going above that, that's the NFL. And that's where, you know, coaches want to get to in their career. That's what everyone dreams of. So um, I think we've we've really hit it all. We've hit the East. We've hit the West. We've hit coaching. We've hit JMU app. We've hit Southern Miss. We've hit lack of parking at Southern Miss. We've really kind of spanned the whole nine yards here. And I think that's a great place to wrap up. If you guys are new to the Fun in the Sun Belt podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Fun in the Sun Pod and on Instagram at Fun in the Sun Pod. And for that, that is all we have. Have a great rest of your day.